0: For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Pray with me. Father, we pray uh, for the the preaching of your word this morning that you, uh, these words would be your words, that your spirit would work uh, among us, that we might uh, fix our eyes on Christ and that we might uh, praise and glorify him this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am a Floridian. I was born in Florida. third generation Floridian, which is extremely rare, by the way. Uh, I lived there for 27 years. I am a little freaked out for my state right now, because it looks, looks bad. Um, I didn't plan on preaching this passage be, because of some foreknowledge of Hurricane Irma. I thought about preaching it a couple weeks ago after Harvey hit Texas. Uh, what, a, what a couple weeks. Um, and so, and as my son asked this morning, why, why does this stuff happen? So I wanted to talk about that today. Uh, and as we look at Romans 8, 18-25, we see that, that Paul is assuming that his readers are suffering. He's assuming that, because this is, this is a world where suffering is kind of the norm. Um, you know, the Roman Christians... Paul, Paul wrote this in uh, 57 AD. So the people that he wrote this to uh, were already experiencing in Rome at least some form of kind of like social ostracizing. One of the interesting things about being a Christian in Rome at that time is uh, they, they would be having their services in a, in a house church, And and Roman citizens would walk by, and they would hear them celebrating the Lord's Supper, saying things like um, taking and and eating the body of Christ and and drinking the blood of Christ. And and What do you think the Roman citizens thought when they heard that? These guys are cannibals. And they they would also hear at the end of a service things like greeting your brothers and sisters with, with a holy kiss. I'm not kidding you, so the Romans thought that Christians were incestuous. And so, Romans, Roman citizens, being introduced to these Christians, the the people who followed the way for the first time, thought that Christians were extremely strange. And and so they ostracized them, and that was kind of the best of what happened. Um, So Paul's message to them is not, hey, cheer up! Put a smile on your face. Grin and bear it. That's not what he's saying to him. He says to persevere. He says, your suffering is not to be compared. Because he knows this world is characterized by suffering. He knows that that for them, there's no guarantee it's going to get any better. In fact, it got worse. If you know your history, you know that the emperor at that time was Nero. And one day Nero got, got drunk or something and burned down his palace, and he blamed it all on the Christians. And so the Christians became persecuted. He put them to death, and you know the, the stories, he used them as, as lamps to light the roadways. And Christians have been persecuted ever since. In some part of the world, for the last 2,000 years, there have been Christians dying for their faith, and it still continues today. And so, even if you are not a Christian, though, even if you don't know Jesus, even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you've never heard of Jesus, you still suffer. We still live in a world characterized by suffering because it's a broken world. So how do we deal with that? What is our framework? How do we face the fact that this world we live in, even though we we hope it will get better, we hope it will be good, it's full of suffering? Well, there's a couple things that I think this text kind of points to and one is that this shouldn't surprise us. We of all people as Christians should not be surprised when suffering comes. Even though Jesus has lived a perfect life and even though he, is, he died on the cross to, to one day put an end to our suffering, even though he rose from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead, we still live in a Genesis 3 world for the most part. We have a promise that the curses of Genesis 3 are coming to an end, but they're still very much present. We still feel... Their effects. It's not yet a Revelation 21 and 22 world. And that's simply because we are subjected to the curse of the fall. When Adam sinned, Genesis 3, God pronounced curses on the livestock, on the animals, on the creation, all because of the curse that he pronounced on Adam for his sin. And the more we know and walk with Jesus... The more we have the wisdom of God, the more he transforms us, it's actually that the more we become acquainted with the reality of the suffering of this world. You know, God kind of, as as I've grown in the faith, he's kind of peeled away from me this this idea that that everything in this world is going to be great. He's kind of peeled that away from me and, and allowed me more and more to see my own brokenness, and the brokenness of the world around us, um, so that I think I agree with Ecclesiastes 1.18, which says, For in much wisdom, not saying I have much wisdom, by the way, I'm saying I've got a little more than I used to. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. You ever, you ever heard people talk about how the more you grow in Christ, the more you know your own heart, the more you see your own sin, the more kind of just sorrowful you feel about that. That's what I think he's pointing to a little bit. And Jesus himself is, as Isaiah 53 3 says, He is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And is one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and he was esteemed not. And so if we are following Jesus... In this life, if we say, He is my Lord, I trust Him, we're going to be acquainted with grief. We're going to be acquainted with sorrows because we share in His sufferings. That's what the New Testament is saying to us, that we share in the sufferings of Christ, even more so because we're following Him than if we weren't. That's because the spirit of this world hates Jesus and thereby hates His followers as well. The spirit of this world did not celebrate Jesus. The flesh does not celebrate Jesus. The flesh wants to put Jesus to death and also his followers. And so we can expect suffering because of that. But again, we of all people should be prepared for this. We of all people should not be surprised by this. And we of all people have a hope because of of what's going on with Jesus right now. Sorry about my microphone here. Hang on a second. Paul says these sufferings are not to be compared with the glory that awaits us. You know, there are still Christians being persecuted today. I mentioned that before. I mean, you, you know the 1040 window. A lot of those, uh, especially um, countries with is- Islamic governments, think about China, you think about North Korea. There are so many Christians in our world who are suffering and dying for their faith. They have to hide it if they want to worship. And thankfully, thankfully, we don't have to deal with that right now in this country. Um, but, but you may have experienced some more minor forms of persecution. I think there's a lot of people who get ridiculed for their faith in this country. I think there's a lot of people who feel excluded, uh, especially if you step on the campus of a, of a public university. Uh, you may feel excluded because of your faith. And so there's, there's some of that going on even in our country, there is a sense in which to be a Christian more and more is to experience uh, exclusion and ostracism, much, much like it did in ancient Rome. But God's Word is telling us to weigh these sufferings, view these sufferings against the, the weight of an eternity in glory with Jesus Christ, where he is king and we can like actually see him, And be with him and walk with him. We walk with him now in a way that's where he is unseen. We will walk with him in an eternity where where he's here, ruling, and we can see him. And that's what awaits us. And that is the glory that is beyond compare to what we may suffer in this life. There there is a, a guarantee. All of Scripture is screaming to us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and our suffering will be at an end. He will rule his creation. We, we will gather around his physical throne in the new heavens and new earth and worship him with all the people of God, the whole church, past, present, and future. That is the glory that awaits us, and we get that as a gracious gift simply because Jesus Christ himself is glorified, and he allows us to share in that kingdom. So that's our great hope, and that's what makes our suffering seem like, as Paul says, a light and momentary affliction. And that's why it's also the great hope of creation. You know, creation, it says in the text, waits with an eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And that revealing of the sons of God is what we just said. The, the day when Christ returns and, and He reveals Himself uh, fully glorified as the, as the King of Kings, the day when we receive our new resurrection bodies. That's the main event. That's the thing that all of creation is. Paul per- personifies creation here. He says, that's what, w- that's what it's waiting for. All of creation is waiting for that day. It says in 19 that it waits with an eager longing. In the Greek, that kind of carries a sense of like someone who's kind of standing on their tiptoes, craning their neck, looking to see something. Like Zacchaeus who was trying to, f- to see Jesus, you know, had to climb a tree. That's how creation waits for this event. Like if you've ever been to a parade at Disney World or something, you're a little kid and you can't see anything, so you're just trying to stand up on something, just see, see Mickey Mouse. So that's the way creation waits for the, the glorification of the saints. Why? Because Paul says creation was subjected to futility. Again, we think of the curse, the curse of Genesis 3. Mankind was cursed because of Adam's sin and also creation has been cursed. And so that's why it says we have thorns and thistles and weeds and, and like, man, this, this dirt in Tennessee. You try to dig and it's like, nope, can't dig there. You need a backhoe. So creation works against mankind. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Creation was supposed to kind of work with Adam. Adam was supposed to be Having dominion over creation and and being able to shape and rule it, but now creation works against us. And I think Paul is saying that this is maybe a, a bit of an explanation for why we have things like hurricanes. Why does why does Hurricane Irma come barreling into the, the Caribbean and, and into the coast of Florida? Why it's not? I've heard some people saying it's because of judgment of some Florida did something and. Texas did something, and now God's judging them. But guys, I I think that's a really foolish way to look at it. Because there's nothing in Scripture that tells us that. What it does tell us is that the creation is groaning. Creation is broken. I I don't claim to know everything God is doing. Only what God says in His Word. But I can tell you this, I don't believe, based on what God says in His Word that these storms or any other natural disaster we can point to is, is God like up there gleefully attacking us with natural disasters. That's not what's happening. It's the creation groaning. And I think of what, um, I don't know if you know who Joni Erickson Tata is, but she was uh, she in a diving accident many years ago, became paralyzed, and is now a, a very faithful Christian author, um, an inspiration for a lot of people. And she says that God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. I think God probably hates hurricanes. Okay? I don't, I don't know why he allows these things to happen, but in every one of these natural disaster stories, you see uh, potentially people coming to know the truth of God's word as a result of, of maybe like the church stepping in and helping out. Um, I don't. I don't claim to know all the answers, but this is Seems to be what the text is saying. So the creation is crying out in pain and frustration. In verse 22, Paul says it's kind of like birth pains. Like like an expectant mother in labor who does not want to be in labor anymore, right? Okay? Nine months, that's enough. I'm done. Brothers, praise the Lord we don't know what that's like. (laughs) Ladies, moms, Maybe you have a little better understanding of how creation feels. Except for creation has been doing this for thousands of years. Childbirth pains. We see it again in Harvey and Irma and wildfires. And you think back just 10 or so years ago, this tsunami that, that killed over a quarter million people in the Indian Ocean. We see it everywhere. The effect of the curse on creation. This is the frust- this frustration and futility of creation's enslavement to the curse of sin. And so it creates an endless cycle of pain, of death, of decay. But the illustration of birth pains gives us hope too, right? I mean, a mom doesn't just want labor to end so that labor can end, right? I mean, a mom wants to meet her baby. That's, that's the other thing with creation. and I don't know why this is doing this. I blame it on the groanings of creation. <laughs> a mom wants to meet her new baby and in the same way, the creation longs for the day when the birth pains will be over and it will be glorified, redeemed. God is going to redeem his creation. And, and think about this too. I've been to travel a little bit, um, Probably the two most beautiful places I've ever been to, the Swiss Alps and Capri in Italy. I mean, I, I could move there, right? Maybe you've been to somewhere more beautiful, I don't know. But, but guys, those places, as beautiful as they are, they're, they're just a shadow. They're a shadow, they're a glimpse in what, I mean, is going to be infinitely better. We can't even imagine it, how much better the new, new heavens and new earth will be so when I, when I go to those places, like my heart, I'm kind of divided. I'm like, you know, this is amazing, this is awesome, but I long for so much more. I long for the day when Christ will return. He will be here physically with us. That is what creation longs for. It's the great hope that Jesus pronounced in Revelation 21.5 where he says, Where it says, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. We have a a trustworthy and true guarantee that he's going to make all things new. And So creation waits for this glorification, our glorification, the, the revealing of the sons of God, and most importantly, the return of Christ who will make all things new. And so how much more, then, should that be our hope, the hope of mankind? It's another thing that Paul says, that it's the, the hope of, of those who have the first fruits. Uh, he's pointing to the fact that even those of us who have been uh, introduced to Christ, even those of us who are saved, even those, those of us who are walking with Christ, we still have this inward groaning because even though we know Him, and we walk with Him, and the Spirit dwells within us, we, we're not perfect. Life, life isn't all smiles and, and meadows and bunnies and rainbows. It's, it is still really difficult. In fact, as I mentioned before, maybe harder. And so we groan, inwardly longing for the adoption into God's... The, the, I mean, we're adopted into God's family now, but I'm talking about the day we'll actually sit at His table... And the great wedding feast of the Lamb. First fruits, that word there, uh, is kind of the idea of, of like a down payment on our salvation. It's kind of like when, when um, a couple gets engaged and, and the woman has a ring, a wedding ring, and it's, it's a pretty good guarantee as she looks at that ring, that diamond, it's a pretty good guarantee that she's one day going to be married to her fiancé. And how much more then is the the first fruits of the the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is an even greater guarantee that one day we will be redeemed, we will receive our resurrected bodies, we will be with Jesus for eternity. But even even with that guarantee, we groan. I mean, There's so much around us that reminds us this is not the way it's supposed to be, whether it is... The natural effects of the curse on our bodies where we, we get sick, we get older, we get weaker, we deal with death, we lose loved ones. There's, there is that, there is our sin. The way that we, we know what God has called us to and the way that we, we simply just rebel. E- even with the Spirit dwelling in our hearts, we still rebel. Paul in Romans 7 has this kind of gut-wrenching paragraph, you know, towards the end of the chapter where he's talking about all the things I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. And I, and I do the things I know I'm not supposed to do. And, and he says just like, wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? You might know how that feels. Sometimes I know how that feels. If you're a believer in Christ, if you've been a believer for any length of time, you know that, that inward war, the bitter war between the flesh, the thing, the, the thing that, that wants the things that are anti-God and the spirit who wants the things of God. So we still get hurt. We still hurt people. We still have conflict. We still just go our own way. It's painful. This is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. So we say with Paul, who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our our hope is not that Jesus will make this life easier for us. Jesus did not suffer and die on the cross and, and rise from the dead and conquer death and deal a death blow to Satan so that we could have more fun now. He did that so that we could have a hope of something eternal, a life eternal with him. It's, and it's a guarantee. James 2.5 says that those who are poor in the world but rich in faith are heirs of the kingdom, which God has promised to those who love him. We are saved by grace. And in our salvation, in our justification, in our sanctification, as God is working on us, transforming us, we are more and more becoming aware that we have a guaranteed hope in the redemption of His coming kingdom. So until that time, we wait and we hope in what we cannot see. As as Paul closes out this little section, he brings up a contrast between things that are seen and things that are unseen. Hoping in something that's seen and hoping in something that is unseen, and uh, he says hope that is seen isn't hope. Who hopes for what he can see? The the author of, I mentioned Ecclesiastes earlier, I did a Bible study with some guys in this church of Ecclesiastes several years ago, and we read it and studied it, and everybody's kind of like, man, that's depressing. It's a really depressing book. It kind of is, because the author it's basically, it's like this kind of case study of a guy who's just trying to find meaning and purpose in everything under the sun, besides God. And he's like, I look for it in riches and food and drink and women and power. And his conclusion is meaningless! It's all meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. I don't know if you ever tried to chase the wind. You don't really catch It, it just kind of keeps on going. It's meaningless, that's what he says. But we all do this, I mean... We all hope in what we can see, thinking that's going to fulfill us. So I'm a Cubs fan, right? You guys know baseball? 108 years without a World Series. We won the World Series last year. It was awesome. I mean, that was pretty amazing. Bucket list thing for me. I had no control over it, but as much as I tried. But look, you know what? The Cubs lost 15-2 yesterday. As As much as... As amazing as that was to see them win the World Series last year, guess what? It's, it was one year, it was one championship, and now they're playing again and they're not as good. And my point is just this that anything that you can hope in, that you can see, is cursed. Even the people around you, we're still dealing with the effects of the curse of sin that God pronounced in Genesis 3. And, and so when we. We, we hope in something that is cursed. We're, we're naturally, we're, just, we're hoping in something that cannot deliver us from our curse because it's cursed. That's why Habakkuk in 2.18, he, he says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. And so ever since the fall, we have been doing that. We have been putting our hope in speechless idols. Idols that have no power. They're, they're creations of our own making. We're worship, worshiping created things. We ought to be when we're designed to worship the creator. And that's despair. When you go through this life hoping in something that you can see that ultimately is going to fail you, that is Despair. That's not how the Scriptures say that a Christian ought to approach life. You know, all of Scripture is kind of shouting at us that that the ultimate hope is in the one who broke the curse. That's what Genesis 3 points to when it it talks about how uh, God one day will, will send the snake crusher the one who's going to, to crush the head of the serpent. and It's what Galatians 3.13 says. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So you know, Jesus suffered both physically and spiritually. He suffered, of course, pre-cross, by, just by being a human and going through human things, but also by being tortured by the Romans, being, being falsely accused by the Jews. And then, of course, he was brutally murdered on a cross. If you don't know what it's like to be hung on a cross, you can, you can read about it. It's, it's pretty much one of the worst ways you could ever die. But then the worst of it was that he, was, he suffered spiritually because he was forsaken by his Father on the cross. And he was forsaken by his Father on the cross. He was separated from God the Father on the cross, because he was getting what you and I deserve. He was taking that on himself. Both, both the physical suffering and, more importantly, the, the spiritual separation from God the Father is what we deserve for our sin. And Christ said, I, I'm taking that on myself. I'm taking that curse on myself. I'm taking it with me to the grave. But guess what? I'm rising from the dead, and that curse ain't rising with me. That curse is dead, or it's as good as dead, because Christ put it to death when he rose from the dead. And so he is the first fruits. First Corinthians 15 says he's the first fruits of the resurrection because he rose from the dead with a glorified body. We have a guarantee that those of us who trust in him as Lord will also have that same glorified body at the day of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because of Jesus, because he has been through all that he has been through, we approach this world characterized by suffering with, as Paul calls it, waiting patiently or with patient endurance. We don't grin and bear it. You know, sometimes I feel like Christians think because God has a plan and stuff, we have to be like really happy all the time. Even when things are bad, we can't mourn, we can't grieve. We've got to be happy because that would be weakness if we're... We're grieving and mourning, but you know Jesus actually mourned when Lazarus died. And Jesus knew he was about to raise him from the dead. So why did Jesus cry? Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why did he do that? He knew Lazarus was coming back. Jesus did that because he hates death. Jesus did that because he knew, even though he was about to raise his friend from the grave, he's like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I don't like it. It's okay for us to mourn. It's good. It's proper. The Bible has a lot of passages, especially in the Psalms, about lament, mourning when things are not the way they're supposed to be. We mourn when we lose a loved one. We grieve when hurricanes come and destroy our property. This is right and it is good for us to mourn and to mourn with those who mourn. Our Savior has shown us the way he's shown us how to live in this world characterized by suffering as we wait for glory. Because we, we don't grieve because we don't have hope. We grieve because this world is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be hurricanes. It's not supposed to be death. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But Jesus is with us. Jesus has been through it, and we share when we share in his sufferings, we know we have, we have evidence of what is coming. We know we have evidence of our glorification when he returns. He is coming to make all things new, and we don't live in despair that a hopeless end is coming. We live with patient endurance because an endless hope is coming. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we grieve, we mourn because we see much suffering around us. We see the effects of the curse of sin. We see the effects of our own sin. and We grieve and we look to you for our hope. I pray, Father, that you'd work in hearts in this, in this room, in our community, that we would more and more um, know and love Jesus and not look to unseen thing, or not look to seen things for our hope but look to the one who is unseen who is coming again i pray these things in the name of jesus christ our lord amen